This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Jean, run! 
So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about mozzarella. Yes, the cheese. We love cheese here at Saver. Yes. And we were just discussing how much we in America love cheese and particularly mozzarella. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I realized or maybe I just never thought about how much of an like an American phenomenon mozzarella cheese is. Yeah. Yeah. We we definitely love it here. (laughs) And I... I feel like I go through phases with it. Um, I really love it, but it's kind of like not if I'm going to get a cheese, it's not the cheese I'm going to get. Sure. Usually. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, I really loved the, the mozzarella string cheese, which I know people have opinions on. I understand. <laughs> um, and fresh mozzarella can be like divine. It, oh, yeah. So, so lovely. So lovely. Yes. And I love a good caprese salad. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh! I actually, after we did this, I I did the research for this. I got the stuff to make one, and it's like not the time to make one at all. But I'm gonna make one. <laughs> um, oh no, that's that's I. This was. I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, this was a very serious craving episode. I was like, oh <laughs> yeah. no. The more I started thinking about it, the more I was just like, I absolutely need a caprese and a pizza. Mm-hmm. Both. Yes. Yes. Because right as now. I said. Yes, in the the pizza episode, margarita pizza, a good margarita pizza, oh. well done. Margarita pizza is my favorite. That's yeah. the best. So simple, so perfect. Yes. And I was thinking about this too. Um like fried mozzarella sticks when I was a kid. I loved those. Oh, sure. <laughs> those the best. Oh, I still love them. There are yes. there are a few bars around Atlanta that I mean like I'm not sure if a mozzarella stick is ever like good. Right. <laughs> But there's something just so, like, greasy and wonderful about them, and it's just like, mm-hmm. yes. Yes. I believe we used to – there was a bar we used to go to after work, and we would get some sometimes, and it was delightful. Warm and just perfect. <sighs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can see our past cheese episodes because, yes, we do love cheese, and we tried to do one – an episode on cheese fairly regularly – yeah, ish, ish. Yeah. Um, I every time we, every every time I'm like, yeah, let's do another cheese. I go through like seven that we've already done, having mm-hmm. forgotten that we've already done them, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then finally hit on one. 
Like I, I didn't even check and see if we had done mozzarella because I was so convinced we had done mozzarella, but here we are. So here we are. <laughs> and we've got a lot of ground to cover. It's great. Oh, um, we do. Uh-huh. Yes. And you can also see the mentioned, aforementioned pizza episode because mm-hmm. we do talk about it a little bit mm-hmm. there. But uh, I guess this brings us to our question. Mozzarella. What is it? Well, uh, mozzarella is a type of fresh, soft, unaged cheese that you you make by by working it sort of like a dough until it's stretchy and stringy and rich and salty. Um, and those stretchy, stringy um, properties aren't so obvious when you eat it chilled and, and moist. Um, it'll be springy but pretty tender. However, those properties really ramp up when you heat the cheese or dry it out a little bit. Um, it's like a... It's like if 1990s Nickelodeon made a cheese mm, in like a slime factor <laughs> in like the nicest way possible. <laughs> of course, um, <laughs> I love it. It's like a it's like a cheese that really admires taffy. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, I feel like that. I'm I feel like I'm not making it sound nearly as delicious as it is, which is very delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very delicious indeed. Mm-hmm. Um you can make mozzarella from different kinds of milk, but um but water buffalo is the most traditional and cow is now the most common. And okay, so stretched fresh cheeses are a category called in Italian pasta filata. Um So let us talk about the science of stretch. But first, we need to do another Cheese 101. Oh, yes. Okay. So to make cheese, you start right with milk, um, which is an emulsion, a stable blend of uh, little globs of fats and stuff spread pretty evenly throughout water and stuff. It's stable because of these proteins in milk called caseins that are pretty complex. Uh, They have parts that are hydrophilic or like water and parts that are lipophilic or like fat. And so when presented with both water and fat, the caseins will grab up bits of fat and cluster um, uh, cluster into globules called micelles with the fats hoarded up on the inside and and the water-loving hydrophilic bits on the outside. And these micelles are negatively charged particles, which means that they repel each other. So if you give them a neutral base of water to float around in, they will disperse themselves evenly throughout, creating an emulsion. Okay, so to make liquid milk into solid cheese, you need to de-emulsify it, aka coagulate it, by mucking around with those micelles. Which you can do in a few ways, um, but like a really solid one, um, no pun intended, is to neutralize the micelles charge so that they stop repelling each other, which you can do by adding something acidic to the mix. Acid neutralizes the micelles and they start clumping together. You can also add um, enzymes like Renette that help break apart the, the casein proteins that make up the outer walls of the micelles, which serves to, uh, to, to help clump the proteins and fats together. Those clumps are your cheese curds, um, and the water and stuff that they separate out from is the whey. And how you handle the curds next, or this whole time really, um, is going to determine what kind of cheese you wind up with. If you add too much acid, you're going to wind up with a crumbly cheese. Um, for, for, for melty, stretchy mozzarella, you want a, a relatively um, 
high pH, like like not too acidic, like usually very specifically <laughs> in the low to mid fives, depending on a number of variables that are too too many variables to get into here. Um, mm-hmm. But this is like just acidic enough to dissolve some of the calcium phosphate in the casein proteins, which lets them hydrate more, which keeps them flexible. I'm summarizing a great deal right now. I read <laughs> I read so much science about mozzarella cheese, you guys. <laughs> there are like certain episodes where I think I've said this before, but our research process can be just so different what I'm researching versus what you're researching. And sometimes I'll just be like, oh Lauren. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I was saying to Annie before we started this one, I was saying, like, I like I knew I know every time we do a cheese episode, it's going to be science heavy. But like, I didn't realize how science heavy, like I did not realize the depths of like thermomechanical research <laughs> that have been done <laughs> into mozzarella cheese. I maintain it's pizza based. I maintain <laughs> it's our love of pizza and stuffing cheese in every orifice we can find pizza. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, for for serious, like it's it's between cheese sticks and um and and pizza and all of these other products that we make. Like, uh, yeah, it's okay. So anyway, anyway, mm-hmm. we've we've got some nice we've got some nice hydrated casein proteins is what we have. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. And for mozzarella, you you also want to continue mucking around with those casein proteins in the curd, um, encouraging them to form up into these long, flexible, parallel chains. So what you do is you heat the curd in salted water, and every so often you take it out and you stretch it over and over again in a single direction, which will line up, chain up and line up the protein strands and uh, trap fats and waters in among the strands um, uh, in these tiny, tiny thread-like uh, pockets or channels. And th- th- this is different from the structure of something like a, like a cheddar, which is like an even web of proteins and fats and a lower moisture content. Uh, the finished mozzarella will be uh, white or maybe a little bit yellow in color, depending on the diet of the cow um, or water buffalo in question. And yeah, stringy and melty and stretchy and a little salty. Um, and it'll be packaged in water or brine to keep it soft and moist. Um, and I'm sorry that I keep saying the word moist. <laughs> you monster. But it is like a really high moisture content. It's like it's like between 48 and 52 percent moisture content which is high um so yeah. uh to make string cheese you keep stretching the mozz um and let it dry out a little bit until it's uh right like a firm fibrous stick firm fibrous stick mm. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah fresh mozzarella can be served uh chilled to room temperature in salads or sandwiches or pastas it can be baked into casseroles. It can be melted into sandwiches or on top of pizza or on top of more other pastas. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do all of those right now. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Well, hmm, what about the nutrition? (laughs) Uh, Mozzarella is 
pretty good for you. Um, it has a lot of protein and micronutrients. It can be high in fats and salts, um, depending on what kind of milk it's made from. Uh, buffalo milk is fattier than cow milk. Uh, there's also a lot of science and research going into how to um, make manufactured mozzarella products that are less fatty and less salty. Um, so, I mean, obviously, coating them in breadcrumbs and deep frying them mm -hmm. <laughs> is is going to make them less healthy. Um, what? <laughs> How <with> dare you? <laughs> <laughs> with any cheese, I would say watch your portion sizes. Um, usually a serving of cheese, and I know this horrifies you, Annie, every time I say mm -hmm. it, is about an ounce, which is not a lot of cheese. Um, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but, but treats are nice. It's okay to have treats. And also, yeah, like, I mean, like you're still getting protein. I like eat a vegetable. It's good. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited about my caprese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we do have some numbers for you. A couple. Um, all right. So the mozzarella global market, uh, is worth around $37.3 billion um, as of this year, 2022, and is expected to grow over the next few years. Um, the U.S. is the largest consumer of, moz of mozzarella, uh, accounting for about a quarter of the global market. Um, nobody else even comes close, I don't think. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, separately from that, though, about a quarter of the market is packaged shredded mozzarella. What? Huh. <laughs> what <laughs> I mean I guess it makes sense in terms of like especially like in, in like the restaurant industry or something yeah like if you're just buying mm. I don't know I think a lot of casseroles call for it yeah. I don't know yeah. or if you're making pizza at home and you don't want to shred your own and you want that low yeah. lower moisture content um, so that you're not like steaming your dough in the oven um, I don't know anyway mm -hmm. um <laughs> the official Guinness record for the longest mozzarella was won by a tourism group for Avellino, Italy in 2010. Um, it measured 106 meters and 16 centimeters long. That's uh, 348 feet, four inches. Wow. That's a long mozzarella. <laughs> um, <laughs> the unofficial record for the longest string cheese was set in Wisconsin in 2021, and it was 3,832 feet long. Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, um, and uh, in order to make it, uh, they, they lined up some, like, 1,700 local residents through this town, like, like through, like, like, three city blocks and, and, like, handed them, like, they all, like, passed the string mm -hmm. cheese out to one another and then like it doubled back <laughs> oh, gosh. it was the equivalent of some 30,000 cheese sticks <laughs> what <laughs> what oh my gosh <laughs> I'm just imagining a fiasco where like somebody chipped and fell and knocked oh. into somebody else and then it's just like a domino effect <laughs> and then cheese hits the ground so cheese oh. not to take away from this accomplishment uh, no no cheese accomplishments and records this was recent i mean we're ongoing yeah <laughs> not giving up in no. this arena <laughs> wow all right 
Um. Um, but this did not happen in a vacuum. Um, there's a lot of history that had to occur to take us to this mm-hmm. nearly 4,000 foot long cheese stick. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And we will get into that history after we take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching! Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So yes, you can see our past episodes on the cheeses that we've done already. Um, and yogurt, uh-huh. I think, relevant. Um, that has more of the history of cheese in general. But the basic story is that someone or someone's, because this probably happens somewhat accidentally all over the place, mm-hmm. was traveling via animal transport or some kind of transport with milk in a bag, probably made of animal stomach or skin. And the jostling plus the temperature plus the time created 
cheese in this bag containing yeah. milk. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. And this is a separate episode, but briefly, the water buffalo, which, yes, has been the longtime main milk supplier for mozzarella, mm-hmm. or especially traditional mozzarella, is thousands of years old and was perhaps used as farm livestock in Asia 5,000 years ago. Okay. Historians argue over when and how they were introduced to Italy, where mozzarella is believed to have been refined. Um, did Hannibal bring them when he invaded Rome? Did the Crusaders bring them back from the Middle East in 600 CE? Or perhaps the Normans brought them from Sicily in 1000 CE? Uh, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> These are the questions, though. Uh, they were very valuable livestock. They were prized for their strength and ability to cross marshland without sinking. Um, and by the 12th century CE, people in Italy were using them for their milk. We're going to talk more about that in a second. Okay. But all right. Mozzarella. Just like so many cheeses, the history of this one is incredibly fuzzy and bursting with fun but unverified origin stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the most popular ones detailing how a Neapolitan cheesemaker in Italy accidentally dropped fresh cheese curds into a bucket of hot water. Hoping to salvage something from the situation, the cheesemaker stuck their hands into the water and found that the cheese was malleable and stringy. Uh, the cheesemaker molded and stretched the cheese until it was a unified mass and uh, pulled it from the water. Uh, and yeah, some sources even credit this whole, again, unverified incident with the invention of pasta filata, which you mentioned earlier, Lauren, the method of cheesemaking that involved kneading and stretching curds until they came together to form this ball of cheese. Um I mean, yeah, that's fun. Possible. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Oh. Oh, mystery's history. Uh, many historians <laughs> actually posit that ancient Romans were making an early version of mozzarella using sheep's milk. Um, but yes, it's generally believed that by the 12th century, cheese making using buffalo milk was in practice. Some stories go that monks at the San Lorenzo Monastery in a region of southern Italy handed out something called matza, or M-O-Z-Z-A. I'm assuming it's pronounced matza, but mm-hmm. mm, I hope so. Um, they would hand this out to worshippers when they completed their yearly pilgrimages. A couple of centuries later, um, matza that could survive the travel was being sold at markets in Naples and Salerno. By the mid-18th century, water buffalo mozzarella was common throughout southern Italy. The word mozzarella came into use in the 16th century, according to some sources, though Merriam-Webster puts it at 1911. Uh, That would be when the word was in print in English. Um, So in Italian, right, it could have been much earlier. Yes, and to that point, others argue the term was first used in the 1570 cookbook by Bartolomeo Scappi. Um, The bourbons of the king of two Sicilies frequently are credited with significantly bolstering the breeding of water buffaloes during the 18th century in southwestern Italy. So um, basically a lot going on. This cheese was getting popular. I tried to find this recipe in the book because you can find this person's uh, Scafi's cookbook online. Oh, uh I I couldn't find the actual thing. I believe it's in there. Um, It was just not easy to search and it's quite a... Uh, yeah, hefty a book. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but it's, it seems like people were probably, uh, yeah, they were using it for sure. 
All right, so the large wave of Italian immigrants that arrived in the U.S. in the early 20th century carried with them their traditions around handmade fresh mozzarella, uh, making a few changes to adapt to what was available, which is a story we've heard and told a lot on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, Traditional Neapolitan water buffalo milk was switched out for easier-to-obtain cow's milk. Many of these immigrants arrived via Ellis Island in New York, and many stayed in and around that area. But over generations, Italian immigrants migrated and settled all across the country, introducing mozzarella to their communities. It's kind of a similar story we talked about with pizza, Mm -hmm. um, other things like that. Another thing that helped popularize mozzarella in Europe and the U.S. was the advent of refrigeration, allowing it to be transported over longer distances. Meanwhile, uh... This could be its own confusing episode, but mozzarella sticks may have been invented in the early 70s in Wisconsin um, by a cheesemaker who was looking to offer like individual sized units of cheese for, for snacking to his customers. And it seems that deep fried mozzarella sticks were developed a little bit later in the 70s um, during what is sometimes referred to as the Fryer Revolution. Um <laughs> This new technology. This could also be its whole a whole other episode. Yes, but, um, please. <laughs> yeah, this new technology uh, was making fryers cheap and efficient and convenient and a little bit less terrifying. Um, and so that's when you got the uh, proliferation of deep fryers in um, uh, lots of fast food joints and also um, lots of like pubs and bowling alleys and stuff like that. And so you got deep fried snacks everywhere. Yes. Yes. And I tell you, you see fried cheese on the menu, you're having a good night, you want that fried cheese. (laughs) I can imagine how exciting it would be when it was first becoming more popular. Oh, right? You're like, wait a minute, you fried the cheese? (laughs) (laughs) I must have this now, (laughs) please. In 1981, the Consortium for the Protection of Campania Buffalo Mozzarella was created with the goal of protecting, enhancing, and supervising this cheese and its traditions. It is the only organization accepted by the Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Forestry recognizing this cheese in Central and Southern Italy. Um, Love it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We got to watch out for this cheese. They're like, hold on. Wait a minute. (laughs) They're frying it over there in America. (laughs) You heard? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, uh, and yeah uh, skipping ahead to you know like like right now-ish and or the past decade or so um, there has been all kinds of research into how mozzarella can be mass produced with less fat and salt to help make a healthier product for our snacks Hmm. cheese research ongoing Mm -hmm. oh yeah I'm sure find out how to make it meltier because I know that's a big issue with the shredded mozzarella is it doesn't melt as well. Right. Or well, has less moisture. Yeah, yeah. That um, the Anytime that you muck around with the fat and the salt content, you're also mucking around with the water content. And um, mm-hmm. water and the way that it's um, in those kind of channels through those those fibers of protein, um, all, all of that has to do with how a cheese melts. Or doesn't melt and turns into a weird sticky mess. Um, and... <laughs> And so, yeah, so, like, when you try to do the one thing, um, uh, compensating by, uh, I don't know, like, adding different uh, emulsifying salts or, um, as we've talked about in our American cheese episode, yeah, or, sure. like, na- or like nachos, I think, in our nacho episode. Probably, yeah. yeah. 
um, stuff oh, like yeah. stuff like that or mucking around with the pH level or all of these other mm-hmm. things can be done to try to balance out uh, what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, it's one of the things I'll see in recipes a lot where it's like, don't get this one type of cheese because it will never melt correctly. So <laughs> I know it's on people's minds. Rightfully so. Yeah, of course. <laughs> There's like nothing more disappointing than like you have, you have that, like that, like pizza commercial pizza in your head yeah. and with like, with like the stretch that that goes like an arm length yes. out and then you get something that just kind of like crumbles and you're like, oh no, <laughs> no, that's not what I wanted. No, but that brings up another point of the cheese that won't like no. break off, and you're like stuck in this <laughs> position of just continuously eating cheese, which is fine if you're alone. But sometimes when you're around other people, yeah, not ideal. Yeah, it can be it can be a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> but if cheese is waiting for me, then yeah, I'll happily weather the embarrassment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm like, well, y'all are gonna have to get over this because it's delicious. <laughs> It's happening, and I'm I'm happy about it. I'm sorry for you. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm always happy when we get to talk about cheese. Oh, Can't me wait too. To do it again. Me too. Happy yes. and a, and a little a little worn out. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. Um, but I think that's what we have to say about mozzarella for now. It is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. back thank you sponsor yes thank you and we're back with (laughs) that was very silly (laughs) (laughs) thank you i will take that as a compliment which i believe it was intended (laughs) (laughs) oh and this is exciting we have a (laughs) follow-up email from Kate. Yes. Who we, we read Kate's email, previous email, a couple episodes ago, maybe the last episode, but recently. Um, and it was about spiders. And Kate offered to send us pictures. And we were very excited about it. And Kate sent us spider pictures with descriptions. Yes. Oh, yes. really, really cool. Like, best. Uh, no, every email is the best email. I'm sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, best spider-related email I've ever gotten on a food podcast. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it so much. All right. <laughs> Kate wrote uh, about my spider first. Ah, your spider friend sounds like a black house spider. Well, that's what I would say if you were in Australia, but I have no idea about American species. <laughs> I might be going to California in July for a spider conference with my boyfriend, so I shall learn all about them then. (laughs) Oh, so cool. Attached are some photos of all my little or big spideys. First picture. We named her Stan Wilhelmina because it sounds like the genus name. She is a Melbourne trapdoor spider who burrows in the ground and doesn't come out much. My friend saved her while they were doing house renovations. Oh, my goodness. The next picture, Sydney Funnel Web. The lighter brown one is called Boris McGee, or McGee, <laughs> after a friend's nickname. They are usually considered the most venomous spider in the world. The dark one is an adult female named Big Butt who laid an egg sack. 101 babies came out. Oh. 
Maybe I could make a stylish coat out of these puppies. I mean spiders. <laughs> There's only 18 babies left now. They ate each other. <laughs> Frowny face. <laughs> Frowny face. If any of these spiders bit me, I would have to rush to the hospital and ask for some antivenom. Quickly. <laughs> Next photo. The Australian redback spider. These are my favorite spiders, and they're good pets. In the wild, they find a good place to sit up and sit in their web all day and night waiting for food. So they do well in a jar with fabric on top. I can feed them once a month, and they're fine. They are very low-maintenance pets. If a redback bit me, I'd probably be fine eventually, but the bite site would sweat and cramp, and I'd feel nauseous for a few days. I could go to the hospital, but they might just tell me to go home and ride out the pain. They're a sister of the Black Widow. Final picture. The Australian Garden Orb Weaving Spider. My partner is working on them for his PhD, and they're so variable in color. The photo shows two females next to each other who are green and red, respectively. They're beautiful. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> they are. They, oh, they really, they really are. They were all so cute and or mildly upsetting. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, yes. And Kate continues. Oh, yes, yes. Also, I just listened to this pistachio episode, and I agree with your assessment that wasps are jerks. <laughs> there are lots of native wasps here in Australia that leave you alone. If you leave them alone, they just want to lay eggs um, in a caterpillar in peace. <laughs> but we have European wasps here that are real wankers. <laughs> My unofficial catchphrase is ants are the worst, and wasps are basically flying ants. Spiders are much nicer. I pick them up all the time, and I've never been bitten. <laughs> On the topic of spiders and wasps and cats, my cats at least, you should do an entomophagy episode. Eating bugs is great, and Westerners suck for dissing it. Hmm. I have cricket powder I can put in stuff like pancakes to increase the protein content, and green ant gin has actual green tree ants in the bottom of the bottle. It's so good. <laughs> Well, I agree. I want to do an episode on that for sure. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. It's right. It's it's such a good source of protein and they're so crunchy. And like mm -hmm. that's protein and crunchy are two things that that we Westerners love. So I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand what the problem is other than the, you know, psychological issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had I have some good fried spiders. Hope that doesn't make you mad. <laughs> when I was huh. in China, uh, yeah, crunchy, delicious. Um, also, yes, the pictures were cute, um, and I love the spider conference idea. I love it so much. I, if you go, you've got to send us another follow up. Yes, <laughs> yes. <got> <laughs> oh. um, I jokingly said I would show up in a Spider-Man outfit, uh, and then I would be laughed outside the conference, rightfully so. Um, <laughs> but I, I find this very exciting and very interesting, and the pictures were great. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. Oh, goodness. Thank you. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Devin wrote, I had to stop midway through the aluminum foil episode to write in. I was giggling to myself when Lauren was talking about how one side of aluminum foil is more reflective than the other, and I nearly lost it when she said something about needing lab equipment to notice the difference. And, well, I may have found the only place where it matters. I've written in before talking about how my PhD research in aerosol chemistry has related to some other topics, uh, how I can't stand the smell of rosemary anymore because of the chemicals I use in lab. And here's another place. 
About a year ago, my boss and I decided to do some photochemical aging of the atmospheric aerosols I study. So I needed to revamp our reactor to reflect our sunlight lamp light so it would reach all points of the reactor equally. Well, after some searching, I discovered that aluminum was the best reflector for the specific wavelength of light we were using. But buying polished aluminum was insanely expensive and would require a ton of work. That's when I decided to look up the purity of aluminum foil and discovered, like you mentioned, it was actually pretty high. Long story short, I ended up covering the panels of our reactor with aluminum foil as if it were wallpaper and had a brief meltdown halfway through when I realized I was gluing them dull side up. All in all, it really didn't take too long and was beautifully reflective, so I was pretty excited. That excitement ended when we realized that there was too much background contamination to do the experiments we imagined, so we scrapped the photochemistry altogether. I'm still keeping the foil up, though, because I was very proud of myself for coming up with this unconventional idea. I'll attach a picture of the final product, too. Anyways, thank you both for a wonderful show and providing me company while in the lab. I really appreciate all of the puns, personal stories, and most importantly, all of the hard work you put into the show. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, that is that that is amazing. That's so yeah. cool. Uh, yes. <laughs> that is, I mean, kudos to you. Excellent creative solution. The picture looked awesome. Yeah. Um, <sighs> wow. You listeners are doing the coolest stuff. I Right? <laughs> we just love hearing from you and what you're doing. And I, oh my goodness, I love hearing about this. I, I don't really know what it means, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, all, all y'all who do, who have like actual science jobs in science. It, it always blows my mind. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. We would love to hear from all of you listeners. You can email us at hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. 
because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.